Hello, my name is Jim Babalus, Workplace Relations Legal Officer, and welcome to episode 187. Here today I have with Maddie White. Maddie, how are you going? Good, thanks, Jim. Uh, Maddie, now listen, we've got a very interesting case to talk about today. It's actually, uh, I'm going to I'm gonna shoot off the bat a little bit and hopefully get this right, but Boo, Jamie, Barber and Good State Early Learning, or sorry, Good Start Early Learning. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. It's been a um, greatly publicised um, decision from the Fair Work Commission regarding the termination of an employee who refused to be vaccinated. Um, could you give us a bit of information about what relevant legislation was referred to in this case? Sure. So, the, listen, the relevant law is Section 385 and Section 387. The elements of which I guess there's a lot of members will probably be familiar with, but uh, are also on screen now. So, just very briefly, Section 385 obviously provides that a person that has been unfairly dismissed, if uh, if the commission is satisfied, is the following: a, the person has been dismissed; b, the dismissal dismissal was harsh, unjust, or unreasonable. C, the dismissal was not consistent with the Small Business Fair Code dismissal. And D, and finally, the dismissal was not a case of genuine redundancy. Section 387 obviously takes that a little bit further and provides that in considering whether uh, it is satisfied that a dismissal was harsh, unjust or unreasonable, the Commission must take into account, I guess, certain key aspects. And they're listed, obviously, there on the screen. But just very quickly, I guess, the ones that you see a lot is, uh, you know, where, like A, whether there was a valid reason for the dismissal related to the person's capacity or conduct, uh, B, whether the person was uh, notified of that reason, C, whether the person was given an opportunity to respond to any reason related to the capacity or conduct of the person, D, any unreasonable refusal by the employer to allow the person to have a support person present to assist at any discussion relating to the dismissal, and that's obviously a really key one that, that comes up a fair bit. Uh, e, if the dismissal related to the unsatisfactory performance by the person, whether that person had been warned about the unsatisfactory performance before the dismissal, like, you know, um, D, before that, that's obviously another really key one and, and a common one. Uh, F, the degree to which the size of the employee's enterprise would likely or would likely impact on the procedures following, followed in, in effecting the dismissal. G, the degree to which the absence of dedicated human resource management specialists or expertise in the enterprise uh, would be likely to impact on the procedures followed in effect in effecting the dismissal. And H, you know, any other matters that the Fair Work Commission considers relevant, that comes up a fair bit as well. Okay, so the employee in this case refused to be vaccinated against the influenza virus. Is there a significance to this disti distinction? Yeah, I guess, Maddie, there, there really is. In fact, the Commission uh, cautioned extensively against its application to vaccines more broadly in the workplace. So Good Start mandated the requirement to be vaccinated. Is that correct? Yes, it did. And it did this in April 2020. Good Start implemented a policy that mandated that all of its employees to be vaccinated against the influenza virus. What was Good Start's reasoning for mandating this requirement? Yeah, listen, Good Start determined that from a work health and safety perspective, you know, obviously the OH&S consideration, its business was a high risk workplace and in light of close contact between its employees and children. Okay, was the decision to introduce this requirement based solely on Good Start's concerns around health and safety? Uh, listen, it was one of the factors I was taking into consideration, but really not the sole element. 
What were the other elements that played a part in the decision to mandate influenza vaccinations? Listen, consideration was given, I guess, uh, as a result of a statement issued by the Australian Health Protection Committee, or otherwise known as the AHPPC, uh, on, on or about the, the 18th of March, I believe. What was the statement that was released? The statement relatively provided that the AHPPC considers childcare centres as essential and should continue as uh, this time, but with risk mi uh, mitigation measures in place. What were the risk measures the AHPPC recommended to be put in place? Oh, listen, it was recommended that there be, I guess, a number of factors, and I'll just list them below. Uh, exclusion of unwell staff, children and visitors was one. Secondly, reducing the mixing of children by separating cohorts, including the staggering of meals and playtimes. Three, enhanced personal hygiene for children, staff and parents. Four, full adherence to the NHMRC uh, child uh, care cleaning guidelines. Five, excursions um, other than to local parks are to be discouraged. And lastly, influenza vaccination for children, staff and parents. Were there any other considerations taken before the mandate was given? Yeah, listen, Good Start engaged in consultation with the unions who have, uh, you know, industrial coverage over their workforce. And in this instance, it's the uh, Independent Education Union of Australia and also the Australian Education Union and the United Workers Union, so essentially three unions. And this process involved weekly meetings with, with each union, as I guess you would normally have, like, you know, you know workplace you know, implementation committees. The initial reason for meeting with the unions was to discuss the management of COVID-19 pandemic. Is that right? Yeah, that is correct. However, as Good Start began to consider the introduction of a mandatory influenza vaccination, they consulted with the unions again. Were the unions receptive to the proposed mandate? They absolutely were. All relevant unions agreed and supported the decision to mandate the influenza vaccination. In fact, the United Workers Union went to the added step of requiring its organisers who enter childcare centres to be vaccinated against the influenza. Presumably following the consultation process, employees were notified of the policy amendments? That's correct. Between the 7th of April 2020 and 9 June 2020, Goodstar provided regular health and safety email updates to managers and staff, essentially regarding the mandatory vaccination requirements. The information around the mandatory vaccination requirements were provided to employees on the 17th of April 2020. How long following this notification did the employees have to be vaccinated? Listen, initially the employees had until the 31st of May of 2020 to be vaccinated against the influenza. Were the employees uh, required to source their own vaccines? Listen, initially the employer advised um, employees that they were that they had secured doses of the influenza vaccination from a local pharmacy, I believe. However, they did run into supply issues, and I guess you know that that would be standard. Um, as a result, Good Start encouraged staff to source their own vaccinations, which they would then in turn reimburse up to the value of twenty dollars. You said that they had initially until the thirty first of May to be vaccinated. Did the date change? Yeah, that's right. As a result of the supply issues, Good Start did in fact extend the deadline to the 12th of June 2020. The applicant in this case, Ms Barber, objected to having the vaccination. Did Good Start have a process to manage objections? They certainly did. Uh, the employer formed a panel with a representative from relevant departments within the organisation, of course, to assess whether uh, an employee had a reasonable excuse for failing to comply with the vaccination requirement. What was the basic evidence the employer was after from the ejecting employees? 
There's an essentially good start wanted advice from a treating doctor or specialist that the vaccination was unsafe for, for them or the particular um, employee. In such instances, they would be exempt from the requirement. Did all objections go directly to this panel? No. In fact, um, listen, the National Safe Work and, and Wellbeing Manager had the responsibility for initially assessing medical certificates and medical reports provided by the employees. And whether the respondent accepted the medical evidence, the matter uh, would not go to the panel. Did Ms Barber provide any medical evidence to support her objection? Ms Barber provided a medical certificate, and I believe it was dated the 28th of May 2020. It essentially stated as follows, and I quote, uh, Ms Barber has a sensitive immune system and had a history of chronic autoimmune disease, celiac, uh, treated in part and still struggling with symptoms. Uh, she reports uh, reacting quite badly to the flu vaccination, and it also finishes by saying, please, please feel free to talk to me if there are any other concerns. And was this evidence sufficient? No, the respondent stated it was not entirely clear to her whether Miss Barber's uh, doctor was advising that the influenza vaccination wasn't safe for her. Miss Barber was also asked to have her doctor mark a box which confirmed his or her belief that the employee's medical condition would place her at an increased risk of adverse reaction to the, to the vaccination. Did Miss Barber provide further information as requested? Uh, listen, the respondent received a further certificate of, uh, I believe it was dated the, uh, the 17th of July 2020, but this time from a different doctor, which stated, and I quote, Miss Barber is saying that she's got an allergic reaction when she had the flu vaccine several years ago and is afraid to get it again. We don't, but we don't have a record of her reaction in our surgery. Good start then engaged in a consultation process in an attempt to resolve the dispute. Yeah, that's correct. In fact, the entire process took around four months before Goodstart terminated Ms Barber's employment on the basis that she was unable to perform the inherent requirements of her role. What exactly did this consultation process involve? Yeah, listen, it was a step process. It involved the following, and I'll just read it out, Maddie. So number one, the initial notification of the requirement to be vaccinated. And, uh, vaccinated. Secondly, uh, regular email updates regarding the vaccination requirement. Three, regular information regarding the requirement. Four, regular attempts from the respondent to discuss her objection. Five, the opportunity to provide further information about her state of medical condition. Uh, six, the consideration of all medical documents supplied by the applicant. Seven, the respondent offered to reimburse the cost of medical expenses in order to obtain further information as to her medical conditions. And lastly, that the panel reconvened to consider Ms Barber's response together with all the other previous information. And did the Commission believe Ms Barber presented a valid medical exemption? Uh, they did not. Uh, the Commission essentially stated that Ms Barber failed to produce an adequate medical exemption to the policy. Uh, DP Lake stated that uh, her argument was at its strongest, uh, consisted of a sensitive immune system and that she suffers from celiac disease and that she alleges to have had a reaction from it in the past. Did the Commission make any comments about the time period provided for Ms Barber to provide evidence that would show she was medically exempt? The Commission essentially stated that respondents uh, carefully followed a process and, and provided ample time for the applicant in this instance to provide any information in support of her position. Also, in the absence of sufficient material, it really was not good start's responsibility to facilitate a medical examination. So pursuant with Section 387A of the Act, when the Commission is determining whether a dismissal was harsh, unjust or unreasonable, the Commission needs to take into account whether there was a valid reason for the dismissal related to that person's capacity or conduct. 
Yeah, that's correct. And when considering whether there is a valid reason for dismissal, you know, the reason must be sound, defensible or well-founded. A reason which is, you know, capricious, fanciful, spiteful or prejudiced cannot really be a valid reason. Where does the right of an employer to direct their employees come from? Yeah, that's a great question. It's really implied a common law and stemming from the ability of an employer to exert control over their employees. Is there a duty on the employee to comply with a lawful and reasonable direction given by a superior? Absolutely, they must do. An employee essentially has a duty to comply with any lawful and reasonable direction given by a superior or otherwise contained in an employer's policies and procedures. Can a failure to comply result in a dismissal? A breach of this implied duty does not does constitute a breach of contract, and it is this misconduct that can provide the basis of a valid reason for dismissal. If a direction is found to be reasonable for one employee, can the employer rely on this when giving a direction of a similar or different nature to another employee? Listen, they should not. I guess what is considered reasonable will likely differ for each individual employer, uh, but consideration should be given as to the unique regulatory obligations and industry practices that an employer can face. So whether a direction is reasonable is a question of fact? Absolutely, that's correct. The Commission stated that the direction must relate to the subject matter of the employment, which is informed by the nature of the work the employee is engaged to do, the terms of the contract, and the customary practices of the contract and dealings of the parties. What did Miss Barber's contract state in relation to policies? Listen, the contract essentially impl uh, implied and required Miss Barber to, you know, obey lawful and reasonable directions of Goodstar. It also, um, you know, expressly required Miss Barber to comply with Goodstar's policies and procedures that may be implemented and varied from time to time. The employer's policies must also be reasonable. Was the Commission satisfied that they were? Yes, absolutely. The Commission was. Uh, what reasons did the Commission give for concluding that the policies were reasonable? Yeah, listen, the Commission took into consideration the legal obligations of Goodstar, specifically under work health and safety legislation. But this wasn't enough to establish that the mandatory vaccination was reasonable? No, it, it, that's right, it did not. Goodstar's obligations only arise if there is an occurrence of an infectious disease at an education and care services. So Goodstar really had to submit um, and had submitted that their obligation applied as a blanket rule to prevent the spread of the infection. What did the Commission have to say about government recommendations that the um, employer had relied upon on their submissions? Uh, listen, it, it, the Commission found that whilst these recommendations advocated vaccination, this is not the same as, you know, mandatory. However, the language used would also inform a reasonable employer that mandatory vaccinations are appropriate. And it did actually go into certain factors as well, and I might just actually uh, read those out and I think we'll just put them on screen, and they are as follows. Number one, vaccinations would reduce the risk of the flu being transmitted between good start employees. Two, vaccinations would reduce the risk of, of flu being transmitted between good start em employees and children. Three, a mandatory policy was the most effective control, uh, control measure, and special comments were also made on the fact that it would be ineffective and impractical, impractical sorry, to implement other measures. Uh, four, appropriate consultation with the unions was completed, although the Commission placed very little weight on this. Five, the policy was adapted and implemented appropriately. And lastly, Goodstar undertook extensive consultation with its employees. Uh, was the direction found to be reasonable? The direction was in, you know, indeed found to be reasonable. The Commission found that Goodstar had given due consideration to various other control uh, methods that were available. 
you know, all of which uh, were found to be, you know, impractical and uh, to implement. Uh, the argument was added by the evidence of a of Dr. Lingwood, who gave evidence regarding those controls and their limited application in a childcare environment. The policy allowed for medical exemptions, and good staff provided extended timeframes for you know Miss Barber to, to really gain compliance. The commission then had to consider whether the direction was lawful. Uh, what was Good Start's argument? Yeah, Good Start stated that for a requirement to be lawful, it must be shown to be within the scope of the contract of employment. If the requirement is within the scope of employment but otherwise illegal, then that requirement itself would not be lawful. And what did Miss Barber contend? Miss Barber asserted that the requirement to be vaccinated is unlawful. Uh, because an individual must consent to new, to medical procedures being performed on their person. Interesting, though, the applicant drew on medical case law stating, and I quote, the law treats as unlawful both criminally and civilly uh, conduct which constitutes an assault or trespass to the person. So the applicant asserted that the requirement to be vaccinated constituted the tort of assault and the tort of battery? That's correct. What did the commission have to say about this argument? Uh, listen, battery requires the defendant uh, doing an act which causes physical contact with the with you know with the plaintiff. As Miss Barber never actually received the vaccination, therefore there was no battery and there was nothing enforced on her. Uh, that seems quite reasonable. What about her argument that it constitutes the tort of assault? Yeah, listen, there are five elements that are required for an action to sound uh, in tortious assault, and these are listed on the screen below. So I'll just read them out. One, a threat by the defendant by words or conduct to inflict harm or offensive uh, contact upon the plaintiff forthwith. It is enough if the threat is to make uh, contact to the body of the plaintiff without the plaintiff's consent or without any legal justification. Two, a subjective intention on the part of the defendant that the threat will create in, in the mind of the plaintiff an apprehension that the threat will be carried out forthwith. It is not necessary to prove that the defendant in fact intends to carry out the threat. Three, the threat must in fact create in the mind of the plaintiff an apprehension that the threat will be carried out forthwith and it's not necessary for the plaintiff to fear the threat. Four, the apprehension in the mind of the plaintiff must be object, uh, objectively reasonable. And lastly, the plaintiff's reasonable apprehension caused injury, loss or damage to the plaintiff. And this requirement itself attracts the ordinary common law concept of causation by reference to common sense where appropriate consideration of normative factors such as value judgments and policy considerations. The Commission interestingly also found that Ms Barber's perceptional or fear that good start will threaten to inflict uh, such a vaccination against her wishes was found to be unreasonable and therefore the tort of assault could not be established. When putting arguments to the Commission as to whether having the vaccination formed an inherent requirement of Ms Barber's role, both the applicant and the respondent referred to the case of Reed Crozier what did this case have to say about capacity? Yeah, listen, the full bench concluded the word uh, capacity as used uh, in section 170 um, of, of the relevant act means that the employee's ability to do the work he or she is employed to do. Uh, a, re, you know, a reason will be related to the capacity of the employee where you know, the reason is associated or connected with the ability of the employee to do his or her job. And there can be a valid reason for the termination of an employee's employment where he or she does not have the capacity or ability to do the job. So the, the parties interpreted this finding very differently. What was Ms Barber's argue argument? 
Yeah, the applicant essentially asserted that a reason will be related to the capacity of an employee where the reason is associated or connected with the ability of the employee to do his or her position only. Okay, and what did Goodstart have to say? The respondent went further, indicating that the capacity can extend to the employee's performance. Okay, what argument did Goodstart make as to why the vaccine formed an inherent requirement of the role? Goodstart reported that the influenza vaccine, uh, vaccine was intrinsically a part of Ms Barber's role. They further attempted to argue that receiving such a vaccination was a permanent or inseparable quality or attribute required in her role. And what further submissions were made by Ms Barber in respect to whether the vaccination formed an inherent requirement of her role? Yeah, listen, Ms Barber submitted that the requirement does not form part of the inherent requirement of the role for the following reasons. They're listed on screen, as you can see there, Maddie, uh, but I'll read them out. So it's six factors. One, it does not relate to capacity as used in, in Section 387 of the Act because yeah, it is not associated or connected with the ability of the employee to do his or her position. Two, it is not a, it's not, it is not a physical, or mental or legal incapacity. Three, it is not a, an essential element of the particular employment. Uh, four, it is not a requirement that are essential in a business sense. Five, in a practical sense, the position would be essentially the same if that new requirement was dispensed with, and the position is, is essentially the same on 1 April as it was you know, on 31 March. And lastly, an employer, an employer cannot create an inherent requirement by stipulating something that is not essential. And what comments did the Commissioner make about these submissions? Speaking to Goodstart's argument, the Commission uh, stated that, in, that ensuring reasonable care and skill is not the same as stating that it is an essential requirement to be vaccinated. It is essential to distinguish between uh, an essential element and means through which compliance with that essential element occurs. Anything else? The Commission stated that Ms Barber had been performing her role for many years without obtaining the influenza vaccination. It would therefore be difficult really now to artificially impose uh, such an inherent requirement by way of the vaccination policy. It sounds as though the Commission did not find that obtaining the influenza formed an inherent requirement of Ms Barber's role. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. The Commission uh, stated that to find the applicant lacks capacity is to state that the vaccination is permanently inseparably, uh, inseparably sorry, a quality of the role of the educator. That, you know, this is not the, the case with Ms Barber's role. Okay. Um, was the termination therefore found to be for a valid reason? Yeah, it was found to be uh, for a valid reason. The findings are succinctly summarised as follows, and I'll just quickly read them out. There's five reasons. One, the policy insofar as it mandates that the employee, the, sorry, that the applicant be vaccinated against the influenza is reasonable and lawful. Two, the applicant is required to comply with that policy either as an express condition of her contract incorpor incorporated by reference or as an implied obligation at common law. Three, the applicant did not present evidence of a valid uh, medical exemption. Four, vaccination does not constitute an inherent requirement of the applicant's role. And lastly, uh, the applicant does not lack capacity to perform her role. Was the Commission satisfied that, dis that the dismissal of the applicant was harsh, unjust or unreasonable? The Commission found that the case had two distinct arguments essentially. Number one, surrounding the policy generally which encompasses questions of reasonableness and inherent requirements of the role of educator, and two, looking at the compliance of Good Start with its policies and whether the applicant's dismissal was you know, fair. The Commission found uh, the dismissal to be fair in all the circumstances. We're considering the paucity of the, of the medical evidence presented by the applicant and the lengthy process attempted to obtain you know, the said medical evidence. 
the policy was appropriately adapted and had evidence uh, been presented that mm. there was a real medical exemption, it would have been considered and accepted. The respondent made uh, you know, its requirements abundantly clear and the applicant failed to comply by choice. As a result of the, the above, the Commission was not satisfied that the dismissal was harsh, unjust or unreasonable. So can our members rely on this decision in the context of the current coronavirus vaccination discussions? Yeah, great question, but absolutely not. In fact, uh, the you know, Deputy President made several mentions throughout the judgment that the decision was specific to both the influenza vaccine and the fact that the employer was a childcare facility, which is more heavily mandated, I guess, than any other organisation. So it wouldn't be seen to be a lawful and reasonable direction in any other circumstances? Yeah, listen, I guess uh, for most employers, requiring employees to be vaccinated or become vaccinated will not constitute a lawful and reasonable direction. And any decision uh, to terminate an employee's employment for refusing to become vaccinated will create significant risk. So with limited guidance on whether vaccinations can be mandated in a workplace, what can employers do? Great question, the $64,000 question. I guess, listen, employers can access situations on a case-by-case -case basis. You know, whether the, uh, you know, a mandatory policy needs to be put in place, you know, might be one consideration. Employers must, you know, ensure that there is a, a sound and clear process for objections and will need to consider employee circumstances on an individual and ongoing basis. Okay, great. Thanks so much, Jim. Thanks, Maddie.